0: is the opening music to All About Eve, released in 1950 from 20th Century Fox, and I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from Seattle.
1: And I'm Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, and we're welcoming you back to Classic Movie Reviews. You can find us on iTunes, and then we have our website, www.classicmoviereviews.net. Oh, and we also have Facebook, where you can find us on Classic Movie Reviews.
0: Yeah, so just do a search. Do a search on Facebook for Classic Movie Reviews, or in iTunes. Uh, Just do that search, and you'll find us. It was kind of a weird episode last week. Uh, It was a pretty intense movie. Unfortunately, Bob had to step away as we were finishing up. As you might know from reading uh, the Facebook posts or last week's post on the website, My grandma passed away last, uh, not last weekend, but the weekend before. So we have a little bit of housekeeping to do from the previous episode, but also this is kind of a special episode uh, as All About Eve was her favorite movie. And I can definitely see why. There's a lot of strong women in this movie, and she was a strong woman herself. She sure was. The first thing we should say is that uh, we we do have a rating for The Virgin Spring. Did you want to tell me what yours is, uh, Dad?
1: You bet. Virgin Spring for me was a 10 out of 10. I love the movie. I think it's a simply made movie, great production with an excellent story. And uh, so I gave it it our top rating.
0: Yeah, I gave it a 10 as well. Uh, And I just wanted to clarify one kind of string of comments that I made, uh, both in the written kind of narrative that i put on the website but also in the podcast i think i might have implied that karen brought that rape on to herself because of the way that she was acting kind of describing her life back on the farm as this fairy tale and that she was a princess and she had a crown and and i think i said something along the lines of uh, that that spurred those uh two villainous goat herders to commit those acts of violence against her. And that's totally, totally not what I had meant uh, by that comment. My only thinking there was that I, it was her innocence. It was sort of like the loss of innocence. And and the, those comments that she was making were just so childlike and innocent that uh, it just contrasted even greater with uh, what happened to her. So uh, in no way, shape, or form do I think that a woman would ever, ever bring that onto herself. So, just want to. Nobody made any comments about that, but I was thinking about it as I listened to it again, and I wanted to make that clear.
1: Good uh, clarification. I wanted to give a little background. Uh, we wanted to dedicate today's uh, podcast to uh, Betty. We'll just say Betty. Betty was born in 1926 in Chicago and she passed away on May 17th here in Los Angeles. She had three children, had been married for 50 years. Uh, Just a couple of things. She uh, She had been the winner of a scholarship to the Art Institute of Chicago for her work in dress design. She loved her grandchildren, shopping art, and she was a supporter of social justice and equal rights. She got really involved, I didn't realize this, but she got really involved with the farm workers back in the 60s and 70s uh, when they were picketing for uh, improved working conditions and pay. This, uh, Betty, is for you.
0: That's great. I'm really glad we're doing this. To start off with, this movie holds the record for the greatest number of female acting Oscar nominations.
1: It does. it had four. Yeah, and, you know, I was thinking about that. I think the reason that there were so many, uh, they kind of split their votes for supporting actress Celeste Holm and Thelma Ritter, and that probably
0: allowed someone else to win. Unfortunately, I think that's right. Betty Davis's performance as Margot Channing is ranked number five on Premiere Magazine's 100 Greatest Performances of All Time. She later admitted in an interview that the director, Joseph Mankiewicz, casting her in that movie really saved her career because she'd had a kind of a string of unsuccessful movies leading up to this and her qu- her quote was he resurrected me from the dead <laughs> <laughs>
1: and she, and she uh proved that he made the right decision some background on the movie like we always uh provide it was uh, the studio was 20th century fox it was released in October 1950 and here's an interesting note too Joseph Mankiewicz won an academy award the previous year for a letter to three wives as the best picture. So he went had back-to-back Best Picture Academy Awards. And I didn't know this until I looked it up. He was the director of the uh, Cleopatra movie in 1963 with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton that practically uh, did in 20th Century Fox because the budget got out of control. But it, they made it back. But at, at the time, it was quite a a budget drain. And then I had, I had three favorites. Uh, Marilyn Monroe is in this movie, uh, her first big film career. She played Miss Caswell. And then Hugh Marlowe, who made a lot of A movies. But I remember him in uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. So he, he went back and forth. From A-list movies to science fiction movies, which was a little unusual. Although I would,
0: I would say that's an A-movie, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is an A-movie in my mind, but he made. He was in 12 O'Clock High. He was the uh, the guy that was thought to be a coward at the beginning, and then he had that arc of character change, and at the end saved Gregory Peck from trying to go up in that plane. So those are two. I guess. I thought
0: that was Gary Merrill. Was that Gary Merrill? Because you were talking about no. Hugh Marlowe.
1: Well, Hugh Marlowe was in that too. He was the oh, uh, he was okay. He was the flyer that hadn't supported Gary Merrill when Gary Mel got, Merrill got relieved of his command.
0: That's right. So they were both in twelve. O'clock, they were right? both in
1: that movie. Yeah. Right.
0: So a uh, lot of
1: familiar faces there. The budget was about a one point four million, and it made eight point four million. So it was uh, well received in the box office, and it had the most Academy Award nominations, fourteen. Which was was unmatched until Titanic in nineteen ninety seven, when it had fourteen. So and, it, and we
0: we can't go without our a reference to our favorite institute, the American Film Institute. Oh yes, <laughs> ranked what this list as, is this yeah, ranked <laughs> it as the twenty the twenty eighth greatest movie of all time. I mean that's that's up there. Well, that's their big
1: list. That's yeah, their the big list. list. Wow. Well,
0: my favorites. I have to say, my favorite was. Watching Betty Davis, uh, she definitely, oh, yes. definitely carried the movie for me. Uh, but I, I, also liked Ann Baxter's kind of understated uh, acting. It, it wasn't really till near the end that she sort of revealed her true, her true nature in her character, and I, I like oh, that, that.
1: Wasn't that a powerful scene where she met Celeste Holm in the restroom of, of the restaurant? And that, that's when she revealed her true intention.
0: Well, that scene and also the scene in the hotel in New Hampshire when oh yes Addison DeWitt confronts her and calls her out. That was great, too.
1: There's so many good characters in this. Uh, Betty Davis was outstanding. George San- Sanders was great as Addison DeWitt. He was playing the Waldo Lidecker character from Laura that Clifton, <laughs> Wedd, Clifton Webb had played, sort of the know-it-all writer, newspaper critic,
0: I thought they did a really good job, like the writer and the director did a good job of portraying uh, sort of Broadway uh, theater, kind of behind the scenes and all the interactions and the insecurities and the drama between the actors and the director and the writer and the critic, and that was really well done.
1: Well, you know, at times it was almost like they were filming a play, and I think that was the intent of it with the scenes, you know, in on the studio in the uh, theater and her dressing room. It almost seemed like it had been a play on Broadway and then they were going to film it. It never was a play on Broadway. Oh. I think they just went for that look. I, I, I just I love that. The other thing I forgot to mention is Celeste Holm, who was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress, was one of our favorites in Gentleman's oh. Agreement. She was the understanding uh, progressive uh, to the Gregory Peck character.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, they, yeah,
1: they must have had a whole ensemble of these people that they kept show, uh, you know, kept in movies for 20th Century Fox.
0: Well, we've definitely covered a lot of ground with 20th Century Fox, and it's interesting that you know we can connect these dots between the movies that we have watched. So I, I like that. One of the things that surprised me about this movie, what which I did not expect, because I I didn't really know what I was getting myself into with the movie. It seemed really progressive, like for women's rights and strong women characters. And and honestly, the, the, the male characters in the story were really much more the supporting characters. And a lot of times I kind of faded into the background and the female characters definitely took center stage through most of the movie. And I thought this movie could be remade today and... Be just as good. I, I don't think they'd have to change very much.
1: I don't either. I agree with that. Um, and it was ahead of its time, and, and uh, the script and dialogue was witty and very, very, very detailed uh, dialogue. And yeah. I, I noted in my notes. I think it was. It would be quite different from the dialogue in today's movies because there was a lot of talking and and banter back and forth, and lots of subtle. Uh, innuendos and that sort of thing, and and some of the things that were said, like the one that's the most famous.
2: Fasten your seatbelts; it's going to be a bumpy night.
1: That's a that's a classic. That's got to be on the American Film Institute list for quotes. <laughs> It's right up there with uh, the jaws where where,
0: uh, we're going to need a bigger boat. We need a bigger
1: boat. And then the one from uh, the treasure of the Sierra Madre where the bandit says, we don't need no stinking badgers. (laughs) It's a a classic. I've seen that
0: in so many references on television. She's perfect in that part. She did such a great job. I think. Her age in the movie was just perfect for her character because there's a speech kind of around 41 minutes.
2: I had no idea you were even here.
0: Well,
3: I ran into Eve on my way upstairs
0: and she told me you were dressing.
2: That's never stopped you before.
3: We started talking. She wanted to know about Hollywood. She seemed so interested.
2: She's a girl of so many interests.
3: It's a pretty rare quality these days.
2: A girl of so many rare qualities.
3: So she seemed.
2: So you've pointed out so often. So many qualities so often. Her loyalty, efficiency, devotion, warmth and affection, and so young. So young and so fair.
3: I can't believe you're making this up. It sounds like something out of an old Clyde Fitch play.
2: Clyde Fitch, though you may not think so, was well before my time.
3: I've always denied the legend you were in our American cousin the night Lincoln was shot. I don't think that's funny. Of course it's funny. This is all too laughable to be anything else. You know what I feel about this this age obsession of yours? And now this ridiculous attempt to whip yourself up into a jealous froth... ...because I spent 10 minutes with a stage-struck kid. 20! 30 minutes, 40 minutes, what of it?
2: Stage-struck kid. She's a young lady of qualities. And I'll have you know I'm fed up with both the young lady and her qualities. Studying me as if I were a, a, a play or a, or a blueprint. How I walk, talk, think, act, sleep.
3: Now how can you take offense at a kid trying in every way to be as much like her ideal as possible?
2: Stop calling her a kid.
0: I loved the um, fact that Bill never turned his back on her. Like he, he, had, right. he had several opportunities to cheat on Margot or you know, kind of backstab her, but he never did. And I and I really like that kind of integrity of his character.
1: In real life they were married for ten years. I saw Betty that. Betty Davis and Gary Merrill, yeah. yeah From nineteen fifty to nineteen sixty. I bet that was a strong marriage. With with those two uh strong personalities. I bet they butt
0: heads a lot. <laughs>
1: yes, I think so. In that scene I where she so. says,
0: Fasten your seat belts, it's gonna be a bumpy night. I I was counting the number of drinks that she had before that party even started. She was up to at least three, maybe four, before any of the guests actually arrived. So I think she was definitely not looking forward to having all those people come over for that party. Because at that point, uh, she had started to understand that uh, Eve Harrington was out kind of to get her, her spot in the limelight. And she was very kind of insecure about her age and you know, the, the the men around her and whether they would be seduced by her. And, and of course, at that same party, uh, Marilyn Monroe's character, Miss Caswell shows up. And I thought the contrast between uh, Marilyn Monroe's character and Anne Baxter's character was really pretty stark. Like Marilyn Monroe's character was much more of that stereotypical kind of Ditsy blonde she's going to use her physical gifts to get ahead miss
2: caswell miss harrington miss caswell how do you do addison i've been wanting you to meet eve for the longest time
4: it could only have been your natural timidity that kept you from mentioning it
2: you've heard of her great interest in the theater
4: we have that in common
2: then
5: you two must have a long talk i'm afraid mr dewitt would find me boring before too long you won't bore him honey you won't even get a chance to talk
4: claudia come here see that man that's max fabian the producer now go and do yourself some good
5: why do they always look like unhappy rabbits
4: because that's what they are go and make him happy
0: whereas ann baxter was much more sort of intellectual and was playing the long game you know she'd been planning this for quite a long time
1: boy wasn't that backstory on her something else when addison dewitt exposed all that in the hotel room in milwaukee
0: yeah because her, her her story was that eve Why don't you start at the beginning? Oh,
5: couldn't possibly interest you. Please. I guess it started back home. Wisconsin, that is. It was just mom and dad and me. I was an only child. Used to make believe a lot when I was a kid. Acted out all sorts of things. What they were isn't important. But somehow, acting and make believe began to fill up my life more. It got so I couldn't tell the real from the unreal. Except that the unreal seemed more real to me. I'm talking a lot of gibberish, aren't I? Not at all. Farmers were poor in those days. That's what Dad was, a farmer. I had to help out. So I quit school, went to Milwaukee, became a secretary
0: in a brewery. She's got a great line. When
5: you're a secretary in a brewery, it's pretty hard to make believe you or anything else everything is beer
0: (laughs) (laughs) but then she has a story about how she meets this guy and they uh, get married but that he has to go off to war Uh, and she gets a a letter saying that he's going to be coming back home uh through san francisco so she heads out to san francisco to meet up with him Uh, but then gets a telegram when she's in San Francisco saying that he's been killed in action and that he won't be coming home at all. And so she ends up at a theater in San Francisco watching Margot Channing, who then she becomes sort of enchanted with and follows Margot Channing back to New York to watch her on Broadway. And she's seen every single episode, the night shows and the matinees, of of this particular play that she's in, and so she's sort of the super fan of Margot Channing,
1: and it's all completely false, except for her showing up at every every Margot Channing uh, performance at the play in the play. But that was that was a really powerful scene. She really had that story down pat, and she I guess she had to leave Milwaukee because she had an affair with one of the executives uh, in the brewery and they paid her $500 to get out of town, and she took that money and came to New York City. She was, she was uh, really focused on her career. I was
3: saying that the theater is nine-tenths hard work, worked on the hard way by sweat, application, and craftsmanship. I'll agree to this, to be a good actor or actress or anything else in the theater means wanting to be that more than anything else in the world.
5: Yes, it does. It
3: means a concentration of desire or ambition and sacrifice such as no other profession demands. And I'll agree that the man or woman who accepts those terms can't be ordinary. can't be just someone. To give so much for almost always so little.
5: So little? So little, did you say? Oh, boy, if there's nothing else, there's applause. I've listened backstage to people applaud. It's like... Like waves of love coming over the footlights and wrapping you up. Imagine to know every night that different hundreds of people love you. They smile. Their eyes shine. You've pleased them. They want you. You belong. Just that alone is worth anything.
0: Well, uh, you know, we were were talking before we got started recording that it's it's hard for me to see her as a as a villain because if you were yes. to switch it out and have her character being played by a man, and he he was doing everything he could to get ahead, you know, in in whatever profession you want to make make it be theater, movies, uh, Wall Street. You know, think of Gordon Gecko. you know, like yes. <laughs> that kind oh. of behavior. Wow. Yes. Well, then it would be seen in a different light where, as in this case, it's a woman. And I got to have a bit of respect for her to plan all that out and really go after it. And it was it was risky for her to do that, but she stuck with it. And I, I agree that, you know, she lied and she made up the story and it was pretty terrible uh, on Margot Channing and the people around her. But you know what? She she made it. She became a star on Broadway, and she made it to Hollywood. So the strength of the women characters in this movie is just great. I, I loved it. It was very much different than a lot of movies. I, I'm thinking of, uh, what's the movie that where they're chasing after the, gold, the, the buried treasure? Uh, it's a mad, mad, mad world. Oh, right, right. Where there's only this a couple female characters, of and they're all yeah. sort of like these one-dimensional... Uh, stereotypes. Totally, totally different than this movie. And
1: wasn't Thelma Ritter worth the price of a ticket just to watch her? What a talent. Birdie? Yeah, Birdie.
2: You all put together? My back's open. Extra help get you? There's some loose characters dressed as maids and butlers. Who'd you call, the William Morris Agency? You're not being funny. I could get actors for less. How about the food? The caterer had to go back for the hors d'oeuvres. Voila. <clears throat> that French ventriloquist taught you a lot, didn't he?
5: There was nothing he didn't
1: know. <laughs> she I was th- she she was in a ton of of uh, really good movies. I my first I think the first time I saw her that I can remember was when she was in the Alfred Hitchcock movie Rear Window, and she played the nurse that was oh. helping uh, James Stewart recover. Yeah, and she she played this tough, no nonsense nurse and she was a, she looks to me like she was a very small woman not big in stature but boy she had a she had a quick wit and and he, she didn't take any guff off of anybody
0: i think she knew within 10 minutes of Anne baxter's character you know eve harrington showing up that something was not right with her like she did not trust her from the get go
1: we have sort of gone around uh different parts of the movie there's so many good scenes just kind of in a linear fashion the opening where they're at the uh, award ceremony and it looked like the oldest club on the face of the earth looked like it hadn't been cleaned and i think george saunders who's doing the uh the voiceover says
4: however it is important that you know where you are and why you are here this is the dining hall of the Siddons society the occasion is its annual banquet and presentation of the highest honor our theater knows the Sarah Siddons Award for Distinguished Achievement. These hallowed walls, indeed many of these faces, have looked upon Mojeska, Ada Rian, and Minnie Fisk. Mansfield's voice filled this room. It is unlikely that the windows have been opened since his death. The Miner a-
0: looks so stuffy, and all the cigarette smoke. Oh my god. Yeah, prepare for a lot of smoking when you wow. watch the movie. And the guy that's doing the presentation has been the president of the club for forty years,
1: since it opened, or no, since they since they started this award. He's made every award, um, uh, presented every award, and then we move on to the story. At the beginning, the Ann Baxter Eve Harrington character seems very sympathetic to me, but as I listened to that dialogue in the uh, dressing room, uh, Betty Davis' dressing room, it seemed a little too practiced. She really had that story down so pat.
5: I'd stay in San Francisco. I was alone. I couldn't go back without Eddie. I found a job and his insurance helped. And there were theaters in San Francisco. And then one night, Margot Channing came to play in Remembrance. And I went to see it. Well, here I am. what a story everything but the bloodhound snapping at a
0: rear
1: end it didn't seem like it rang true to me but she was so good at presenting
0: it she had them enthralled i mean that's how good of an actress that she was she really did a great performance there
1: and she was a he was an excellent actress in
0: in uh, real life too in other parts it's a pretty straightforward movie i don't know that we need to go through every scene because basically uh eve harrington continues to insinuate herself into uh Margot Channing's life. And it's just in little ways at the beginning where she will run some errands for that for her or you know, answer the phone and and she's sort of taking over uh Thelma Ritter's role in Margot's life. You know, Bertie used to do that for her, and now Eve is kind of doing it. And and Thelma's character really doesn't like that. And, you know, as I said, she kind of sees through Eve's uh, facade and then it gets to the to the part where it's decided that Eve is going to be Margot's understudy because she sort of got Margot's life into such a great shape and everything's organized and Eve doesn't really have anything else to do and she's kind of looking for the next challenge and she talks to Karen Richards who is the wife of the writer of these plays. Lloyd Richards is the writer, played by Hugh Marlowe and and kind of, in a really subtle way, gets Karen Richards to agree that, yeah, it would be a really good idea if you were uh, Margot's understudy.
5: You've done your share, Eve. You've worked wonders with Margot. Good night, Mrs. Richards, Karen, Karen, isn't it awful i'm I'm about to ask you for another favor after all, you've done already. <laughs> Nobody's done so much, Eve. You've got to stop thinking of yourself as one of the hundred neediest cases. What is it? Miss Channing's affairs are in such good shape, there isn't enough to keep me as busy as I should be, really. Not that I'd even consider anything that would take me away from her. But the other day, when I heard Mr. Fabian tell Miss Channing that her understudy was going to have a baby, and and they'd have to replace her... And you want to be Margaret's new understudy. I don't let myself think about it, even. But I do know the part so well. And every bit of the staging. There'd be no need to break in a new girl. suppose I had to go on one night. To an audience that came to see Margot Channing. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Margot just doesn't miss performances. If she can walk, crawl, or roll, she plays. The show must go on. (laughs) No, dear. Margot must go on. As a matter of fact, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be her understudy you think miss channing would approve i think she'd cheer but mr richards and mr sampson they'll do as they're told then would you speak to mr fabian about it of course you won't forget i won't forget
0: and and gets gets karen into this compromised position really where she's helping eve Take Margot's place, and Margot is really good friends with Karen, <laughs> so and,
1: and long time friends, yeah. And that whole scene where they went out to the countryside, and uh, Celeste Holmes' character had set it up so that Eve could could be the understudy,
0: could 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 take over that role. Like it was like, why is she? Why is she doing that? That's oh, so that's the one part. That's the one one part of the movie I didn't understand. So the the setup is that. Margot and Karen and Lloyd are all going to go out on a little vacation, uh, like a four-day weekend out to the country. Margot and Bill have had a big fight, and Bill has basically kind of said, I can't do this anymore. We always fight and get back together, but it's just, this is the last time. I want to circle back to the fight scene, because I really thought that uh, Betty Davis was outstanding in that scene, and I, I want to definitely talk about it. But So we've got this setup where... Margot and Karen and Lloyd are out in the country and they're they on their way back in the car, the three of them. It's freezing cold outside and all of a sudden the car stops running and Lloyd can't figure out what's going on. He says, "I I've, I filled the car up with gas. I know I did. But it turns out that Karen had somehow emptied the tank of a lot of the gas so that they wouldn't be able to make it back to the train station on time, thereby allowing Eve to... Take over the lead role, uh, you know, as the understudy. I couldn't figure out why she did that. Why it was like she was trying to teach Margot a lesson, and it was it was sort of supposed to be almost like this joke because Karen is talking about how she's going to play this joke on Margot, and someday she'll be able to tell her about it. But it just came across as really mean because not only does Eve take over, but they've also called all the critics to come watch. Right. This performance of Eve as, as the lead, and, and she gets rave reviews from, from everybody.
1: So it came back to haunt uh, Celeste Holmes' character later in the film when Eve blackmails Celeste Holmes' character into uh, going along with another plan that she has or she would tell Margot what had happened. And believe it or not,
5: if there's anything I can do, there is something... I think I know. Something most important you can do. You want to play Cora. You want me to tell Lloyd I think you should play it. If you told him so, he'd give me the part. He said he would. After all you've said, don't you know that part was written for Margot? It might have been 15 years ago. It's my part now. You talk just as Addison said you did. Cora is my part. You've got to tell Lloyd it's for me. I don't think anything in the world would make me say that. Addison wants me to play it. Over my dead body. That won't be necessary. Addison knows how Margot happened to miss that performance. How I happened to know she'd miss it in time to call him and notify every paper in town. It's quite a story. Addison could make quite a thing of it. Imagine how snide and vicious he could get and still tell nothing but the truth. I had a time persuading him. You better sit down. You look a bit wobbly. If I play Cora, Addison will never tell what happened, in or out of print. A simple exchange of favors. I'm so happy I can do something for you at
0: long last. And it's funny because then she, uh, yeah, there's a there's a dinner scene where they keep talking about Eve. It's all about Eve. It's all you know. And Margot says, "Can we please, 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 just not talk about Eve anymore during the dinner? <laughs> I'm sick of it." And then, and then she says, you know what? I, I've decided I don't want to be the lead in your next play, Lloyd. I, I, I'm getting too old. It's just, it's, it's, I want to move on with my life. And we find out that Bill has asked Margot to marry him, and they want to get married and, and kind of start their life together. And, and, and uh, Karen just starts laughing. Married got to do with it.
2: It means I've finally got a life to live. I don't have to play parts I'm too old for. Just because I've got nothing to do with my nights. Oh, Lord, I know you've made plans. I'll make it up to you, believe me. I'll I'll tour a year with this one, anything. Only... Only you do understand, don't you?
3: (laughs) What's so funny? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing?
2: Everything. Everything's so funny.
0: That's wh- exactly what Eve wanted to have happen. She wanted to take the lead in Lloyd's next play, and now she's going to get the chance.
1: That left Karen
0: Richards off the hook. Yeah, and nobody can figure out why she's laughing so hard. But you know, of course, we we know she was hysterical.
1: <laughs> uh, you, you you know, when you sent me your notes, you had a uh, a handful of great quotes from the movie. Uh, maybe you could give the context for them as I as I read them here there's the interaction between Bill and Margot when he's telling her to calm down and that she's been hysterical. And, and, and uh, the, the quote was, it's obvious you're not a woman.
0: Um, so that's the scene that I wanted to get back to. So they have this big, so Bill and Margot have this big fight and uh, Margot is feeling a ton of pressure uh, because she's getting older. She's been playing these characters that are like 10 years younger than her. And, and doing well. I mean, she's well-respected in the theater community. But, you know, here comes Eve, and she's the right age for these roles. And everybody seems to love Eve, and everybody's sort of putting this pressure on her to, you know, not continue to take on these these roles that are maybe not suited for her. And, you know, her and Bill have this big fight.
2: You're being terribly tolerant, aren't
0: you? I'm trying terribly hard.
2: Well, you needn't be. I will not be tolerated and I will not be plotted against.
3: Here we go. Such
2: nonsense. What do you all take me for? Little Nell from the country? Be in my understudy for over a week without my knowing it. Carefully hidden, no doubt.
3: Now, don't get carried away.
2: Arrives here for an audition when everyone knows I will be here and gives a performance, out of nowhere, gives a performance.
3: You've been all through that with Lloyd.
2: The playwright doesn't make the performance, and it doesn't just happen, and this one didn't, full of fire and music and whatnot. Carefully rehearsed, I have no doubt, full of those Bill Sampson touches.
3: I am sick and tired of these paranoiac outbursts.
2: Paranoid!
3: I didn't know Eve Harrington was your understudy until half past two this afternoon.
2: Tell that to Dr. Freud along with the rest of
3: it. No, I'll tell it to you. For the last time, I'll tell it to you. You've got to stop hurting yourself and me and the two of us by these paranoiac tantrums.
2: Oh, that word again. I don't even know what it means. Well,
3: it's about time you found out. I love you. I love you. Ha! You're a beautiful and an intelligent woman. A body with a voice. A beautiful and an intelligent woman and a great actress. A great actress at the peak of her career. You have every reason for happiness. Except happiness. Every reason. But due to some strange, uncontrollable, unconscious drive, you permit the slightest action of a kid like a kid. of a kid like Eve to turn you into an hysterical, screaming harpy. Now, once and for all, stop it!
2: It's obvious you're not a woman.
0: And she doesn't let Bill push her around. She she stands up for herself and says, "You don't get it, Bill." Basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but you don't get it, Bill. It's not it's not like that for women. It's not easy. We can't just have these things come to us like they do for men. And I, I, wow, my respect for the director and the writer and Betty Davis and all the actors in this movie was like off the charts, uh, you know, after watching this movie, because it's just so well put together. From
1: what I've read about Betty Davis, uh, and this may be why Betty here in Los Angeles loved her so much as an actress she was a lot that way in real life. She was very strong-willed and and uh, very uh, sure of herself and all of that. There's some other quotes that uh, at a, at a, at an hour and 36 minutes in, the the, the the quote is, Eve did mention the play, but just in passing,
3: she never asked to play a part like Cora. She never had the nerve.
2: Eve would ask Abbott to give her Costello.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love that.
3: and then and then right after that that bitter cynicism of yours is something you've acquired since you left
1: radcliffe
5: that cynicism you refer to i acquired the day i discovered i was different from little boys
1: those two are back to back and they're a minute apart in the movie
0: that was another great interaction that was between karen and her husband lloyd that quote about the the cynicism wow what a profound sentence you know and what great writing oh great writing and Karen could see right away that
1: Eve has uh, woven her spell because uh, she's got her eyes set on stealing Bill Gary Merrill's character away from Margot.
0: I mean, she just so Eve kind of Eve kind of goes after Lloyd at one point, and he she goes after Bill, and then near the end of the movie, Addison DeWitt George Sanders character basically turns to the tables on Eve and forces Eve to be with him.
4: What do you take me for?
5: I don't know that I'd take you for anything.
4: Is it possible, even conceivable, that you've confused me with that gang of backward children you play tricks on? That you have the same contempt for me as you have for them?
5: I'm sure you mean something by that, Addison, but I don't know what.
4: Look closely, Eve. It's time you did. I am Addison DeWitt. I'm nobody's fool, least of all yours.
5: I never intended you to be.
4: Yes, you did, and you still do.
5: I still don't know what you're getting at. But right now I want to take my nap. It's important... It's important
4: right now that we talk, killer to killer.
5: Champion to champion. Not
4: with me. You're no champion. You're stepping way up in class.
5: Addison, will you please say what you have to say, plainly and distinctly, and then get out so I can take my nap?
4: Very well, plainly and distinctly. Though I consider it unnecessary because you know as well as I do what I'm going to say. Lloyd may leave Karen, but he will not leave Karen for you.
5: What do you mean by that?
4: More plainly and more distinctly. I have not come to New Haven to see the play, discuss your dreams, or pull the ivy from the walls of Yale. I have come here to tell you that you will not marry Lloyd or anyone else for that matter, because I will not permit it.
5: What have you got to do with it?
4: Everything. Because after tonight, you will belong to me.
5: Belong? To you? I can't believe my ears.
4: A dull cliché.
5: Belong to you? Sounds medieval. Something out of an old melodrama.
4: So does the history of the world for the past 20 years. I don't enjoy putting it as bluntly as this. Frankly, I'd hoped that somehow you would have known that you would have taken it for granted that you and I... Taken
5: it for granted? That you and I...
4: (laughs) Now, remember, as long as you live,
5: never
1: to laugh at me. At anything or
4: anyone else, but never at me.
1: He saw that she, he could control her because he understood her and he had all that
0: background on her. And and he was able to blackmail her. Yeah, He was quite
1: a dude. He had the best-looking suits I've seen in movies in a long time. They were not off the rack. And then they go back to the scene in that really old and dusty club where they're presenting the award. And the look... That Margot was giving... Well, they all were. They all looked like they were just ready to scream because Eve was up there going on and on about all her friends and Margot and Bill and Lloyd. And you had a you had a quote or a note uh, at two two hours and ten minutes in that if looks could kill, Margot's look would have killed Eve during Eve's speech.
0: Yeah, that was like uh, the looks on all of their faces, like uh, you you had mentioned. You don't have that context at the beginning of the movie, so you just think that all these people are bored or you know, that you don't really know what, what's going on. But at the end of the movie, when they circle back to that award ceremony, wow, you get all of the backstory and the context for, for the looks that they're giving Eve. <laughs>
1: and wasn't Margot's uh,
0: put down of Eve a great one about the award? Well, that, that's got to be one of the best lines ever. Uh There's so Margo many. Sa- Margot says...
2: Nice speech, Eve, but I wouldn't worry too much about your heart. You can always put that award where your heart ought to be
1: <laughs> and so then we move ahead to where Eve goes back to her apartment and uh, comes into the apartment. it's dark and it's late she's tired, and uh, she turns on the she she turns on the lights, mixes a drink, turns around, and there's a young woman sits asleep in a chair and and eve loses a drink spills it on the floor she's uh, this young woman is a member of the eve fan club but you know right away that the whole thing is starting over again because <laughs> this young woman tries on the gown and coat and and starts cleaning up after uh, eve spilled the drink and i'm like man it's a never-ending loop loop And I wonder if margot I was thinking to myself, I wonder if Margot did the same thing way back when she started out to insinuate herself uh, into another woman's uh, place. And it's not, like you said earlier, it's not just a woman's thing, because almost at the same period of time, there was another movie that came out, and I don't know if it was 20th Century Fox or not, The Bad and the Beautiful, which won a number of awards with Kurt Douglas and I think Lana Turner and some others. And it, it kind of flipped the roles around. Kurt Douglas is the is the man obsessed with becoming a hero and in a, in a uh, success in the movie business to follow in his father's footsteps. So there was a lot of this kind of going on in the early 50s. Some great stories and great uh, screenplays, for
0: sure. I think this is a pretty common uh, plot device in movies, but to have it turned around so that the woman is the one who's in that strong role is is to me that's just so unusual for this time period and it, it's like a breath of fresh air I, I really felt like i was watching a modern movie when i watched this i mean aside from the 4 by 3 aspect ratio and the black and white and the the, the period <laughs> costumes you know it was like updated with high def you know cinematography and modern language and whatnot it would be like a perfect movie for today i really think so they wouldn't have to change much and um, it would indeed and i really had mixed feelings about eve being so she was almost she was kind of a borderline sociopath where she didn't care about other people's feelings she had no real empathy for other people Uh, but then i was thinking you know would it be better if it was softened up a bit and she was kind of just more of an opportunist and, and using her youth and talent to get what she wanted instead of being so conniving? Or is it better that she, you know, is it a stronger character that she's this way? And I really, I really have mixed feelings about that because it's a very kind of fine line between that sociopathic kind of behavior that she had and her, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity and really writing it out to the fullest extent. I
1: I come down on the side that she needed to be the way she was in the movie, to be a strong counterpart to Margot and and Betty Davis character, because that way they were like equals. You know, it was almost like watching a couple of boxers in the ring, uh, duking it out. Now there's a forerunner to this movie that I just thought of Mildred Pierce, which came out in 1945 or 44. Or, Nineteen forty-six, with Joan Crawford, and she plays the strong woman, successful businesswoman, and and uh, what happens to her? That's another strong woman. I'd I'd be interested in watching that one. It won an Academy Award. Well, anyway, I gave this film, without a doubt, a ten out of ten rating. I thought it was a great script, characters, drama, Betty Davis. And a great treatment of the scheming person with little or no boundaries, when it comes to reaching her goal. I really did like it. I hadn't seen it for a while.
0: I gave it a ten out of a ten as well, and uh, definitely can see why uh, Grandma liked it so much. Uh, great writing, like you said, you know, really well directed. Nice cinematography, you know, nice black and white cinematography. Uh, but. But mainly it was the strength of the female characters that just won me over. All of them, really. I mean, they all, were all yeah, there like, wasn't was, Margot, yeah. Eve, Karen, Birdie. You know, all, all of them were, were great.
1: Now, next week, we are going to do a complete switch. The professionals from the mid-60s with Lee Marvin, Burt Lancaster, Claudia Cardinelli, and a host of bandits and good guys romping through Mexico.
0: <laughs> It'll be quite different from from this one. Yeah, this will be a big change. And then I, I think after that we are either going to watch The Thin Man. Oh, right, right. we, talked and we, to we might have a guest on for that one. Uh, right. Or we're going to do our Akira Kurosawa uh, Seven Samurai versus The Magnificent Seven double feature. So we're, we're not quite sure on the one after The Professionals, but that's uh, upcoming... Uh, In any event.
1: Preview of coming attractions.
0: Well, anyway, until next week, uh, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from Seattle. And
1: Bob Johnson in Los Angeles. And we're wishing you all happy movie watching.